Comrades, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, today on the show, we have a very special guest. Uh, we've already had Jacob from the Valley Labor Report uh, on. Today, we have his partner in crime, David Story, uh, also from the Valley Labor Report. He is also the president of the Machinist Union. Uh, what's the local number? Uh, local 44. Local 44. Sorry about that. And uh, he is joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, unions in the South. We're going to talk about uh, the uh, striking workers at the Warrior Met uh, coal mine out in uh, central Alabama as well. How are you doing today, David? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you, man. It's really, really nice. And I'm a big fan of uh, Valley Labor Report, which you can now listen to uh, if you can find it on WHIV. Uh, just kind of keep your keep keep a hero keep an ear open, um, but yeah, um, yeah, really appreciate the work that y'all are doing. And uh, there was a really great video that you put out um, the other day, or probably about a week or so ago, about your story, uh, starting with like getting involved with your union. Can you just sort of like reset that a little bit? Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but Jacob, I think he just caught conversation one day and was like that's a wonderful story you should tell that more often and i'm like okay uh but yeah i, I mean i'm 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 a third generation unionist in alabama so like and every one of all of my family previously are you know were from alabama so it's not like we imported from detroit or something or other like that so you know i've been brought up in a union family the whole nine yards. Uh, and I've always worked union, but I was just kind of like a dues payer. I paid my dues. I went to work, I went home, uh, you know, and enjoyed my time off. And uh, when I came to, when I came to work with my, with this newest company, uh, me and well, me and one of the negotiators, he was a, a previous president, got to be real good friends, like super close. And, you know, he started telling me the story. I came to work, actually, they hired me as a strike breaker. We, the, the, wow. the group that had, that had, that was there roughly not quite a year before I was hired in was about to negotiate the, the, a new contract. They had just come off of a 90, 94, 95 day strike on the last contract. And so the company was basically flooding the uh, bargaining unit, hoping that all the new hires would vote yes on the contract, uh, which of course didn't work. But uh, so, you know, talking to him and listening about why they went on that 94 day strike and and what and it what really stood out to me was uh, how they had retiree health care so in other words if you if you aged out if you wanted to retire if you got 30 years in i think it's 30 maybe it's 20 before your social security age you could bridge uh, your health care, keep your health care until Medi Medicare kicked in. And uh, so they had that. It was already in the contract, but the company was wanting to remove it for anybody that hired in from that contract date forward. And, and they were going to be grandfathered in. And they struck 94 days with, you know, for, for me that they had never even seen before. You know, never met, didn't know nothing about me. And I just thought, Man, that's, you know, I mean, even though I I I walked picket lines with my dad and I knew we were, you know, we were out there for the collective good. Yeah. It never occurred to me 
the long term that they were looking at. And and that's kind of when I say, you know what, I'm I'm going to get involved. So yeah. Awesome. And then he and plus he was kind of he was wanting to get out of the negotiating committee and he wanted somebody that had been around unions a lot to get in there because uh, in our area you get a lot of people and they'll 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 join because they know the pay and benefits are the best in the area but in many cases they're not the best ones to be negotiating the contract so he had kind of pushed me into taking over uh, negotiating the contract or you know to get elected to negotiate the contract so. yeah so somebody that you know is going to be that's got a like an analysis of the situation right somebody yeah. that like and it's not not to say anything wrong about folks that are just working the job to survive that's totally fine but 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 i mean like when you want to have those kind of jobs done you want to make sure that people are that are going to do it or are, are going to have you know, be able to advocate for it. They have some sort of familiarity and support yep. network uh, in there, 100%. Yep. Yeah, uh, and, and, and really you get a lot that you want to, you want to the best interest of the collective, you know, because that's, that, at the end of the day, that's what it's about is the, is the, the collective as a group and not, uh, you know, personal, personal and goals. Yeah. So, and then you made your way up to, to president. I, you know, I, I've been meaning to ask this question, uh, and I, I kind of like throw this out a lot to like, especially people in the South. But like, what is it like, just sort of in the grand scheme of things, being a union leader in the South? Because it's different here. Like, it's not like different in the sense that like the forces are different in terms of like you know, the bosses are going to try and, uh, you know, screw over the workers at every possible opportunity. That's everywhere. But the sort of the rules we have to sort of operate under and the sort of like attitudes that exist around here are at least a little bit different. I mean, I, I lived here my entire life. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm from like a um, suburb of, of uh, New Orleans, St. Bernard Parish. And, um you know, that's where a lot of the sort of like working class folks are from. But like, if you're not in like sort of circles that, you know, union people are already in, then you don't really even see what's going on. You don't even have an awareness of that. So I guess sort of like just generally talk about being like now, I guess, a union leader in the South. Uh, yeah. I, well, for one, and, and, it's it's a it's a it's a continual have to remind myself anytime somebody calls me a union leader I always default back to I I'm I I'm very much an anarchist. So hierarchy I absolutely hate. I abhor uh you know the idea of leaders, but that being said, most people categorize the president as a leader and I kind of categorize him as the president's just a guy that runs a union meet and, and fulfills the wishes of the membership. That's that's my only role is when somebody gets a motion passed through a union meeting, then my job is to ensure that that motion is carried out to the best of my ability. So I kind of default back to the leadership comes out of the active membership and and I'm just the average Joe that's doing what they told me to do. No yeah. more than no more than I would do at, at my job, you know. So, uh, but I don't know. It's uh, I don't see it. It's I, I, okay. I, I don't have anything to compare it to because I've never worked like up north. Well, I have worked up north, but not as not in a capacity as you know as a, a, an officer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean it's strange because you get called union thug by. Like on our radio show, the program manager, he's, uh, you know, reactionary, right wing. I mean, just the worst of the worst type people. And, you know, he, he, he's constantly demeaning, you know, the union. But to his defense, if there is a defense for that, you know, it's because of his ignorance. It's because he, he's listened to so much propaganda and he's never actually been in the in in the circle that he don't even understand what's going on so mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Jacob, your your partner in crime, is in the chat saying, David is a very open book in so far as that he's willing to talk about, but not forthcoming about it. I knew him for literal years before I knew he lived in Mexico and Germany and speaks the languages. (laughs) I try to come off as a dumb, ignorant redneck. I I feel like I get the less people expect out of me than the easier it is on me. Oh, <laughs> keep expectations nice and low. Yeah. You can always buy people, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the uh, the frame you sort of put around what you see your role is as a union leader because, um, you know, th- that's not the way that everybody sort of seems to see it that are in those kinds of positions. And, like, I, I – personally and and then i think that i'm you know vindicated in a lot of history that you know the the way that unions have historically in the united states and abroad have been able to demonstrate you know power has been by having the members have some kind of ability to um you know engage with the structures of that union and push forward in the same direction you know and it's not always it's not always as nice of a relationship, but it's it's it it kind of it, it has to happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm gonna I'll paraphrase it because I, I I'm not a great uh, uh, I don't have a great memory, but Eugene Debs at one point said something to the effect of, uh, "If you're looking for somebody to lead you out of the wilderness, I'm not that guy." Because if I can lead you out of the wilderness, then somebody else can lead you back in. Right. You know? And I just thought, yeah, I mean, the the intent is for not to have a leader, to have everybody kind of come together collectively and do what's best for the group and move forward as a group. And that, you know, that builds a lot of the, and I'm, I'm a hierarchical antagonist, but my business rep hates me. Uh, you know, most of the folks above my level they respect the position, but they don't like the person because I, I want to take the power out of the hands of the bureaucratic union. And because they, when you get to the point with unions where you've got this one guy that everybody thinks can come in and solve your problem, we're, we're just in a total cluster at that point. Mm -hmm. The only problems, you know, that should be solved should be solved. By the collective, they should be able to demand what they want and not have to allow one person. So, yeah, and and you know, not to like like hammer the point, you know, home too hard on this, but like I, we were talking a little bit about some some of the woes that I've been sort of experiencing yeah. uh, in my own sort of like organizing situation, and like the I don't know the people that are like in those positions and then, you know, the people that are in leadership of my, of my local or, you know, have a different outlook than you do. And um, it's really, this is something that I find really interesting and difficult to like talk about that dynamic without like coming off as anti-union, which is like sometimes, let me sort of like give a sort of a sloppy example. And I I brought this up to Jacob as well. Um, If you remember, I was a big Bernie guy. You probably see him over my shoulder here, right? In 2016 uh, and 2020. But um, I remember when local 337 in in the culinary union in Las Vegas sort of like their soft endorsement of Biden. And I actually put out a tweet. I said, I can't wait to like talk trash about 337 in my circle of union people and then defend them to the death to the people that are like more broadly, essentially. (laughs) It's like a really kind of difficult, like, you know, changing of dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was impressed because in 2016, and and full disclosure, uh, even though I'm not a big political fan, uh, I was a tremendous Bernie supporter just because you know I kind of see myself as, although I may be an anarchist, eh, my privilege, being white, being male, being a union worker, if I allow you know, crap politicians to get elected, then that's pretty much just showing my privilege. And so I right. kind of per- participate. But in 2016, uh, the executive council from our international made the endorsement for our union. 
and they caught so much hell because and it's that's the way it's always been it's not like anything had changed but there were so many people in our international mad because we wanted to endorse bernie that we that at the next constitutional convention we actually amended the constitution to where it's a democratic vote uh nationwide for who we endorse that's and, an awesome development yeah and and there was a the, the president at the time understood that there was so much pushback on this that he endorsed the amendment and so we got a democratic vote and it was expensive but and biden still won, you know won the endorsement on in 2020 but you know what it was a fair it was a you know it was a fair way of handling things yeah, it, so, it, some legitimacy in the process at the very least yeah no 100 percent agree with that like like at least like having and like i'm not a, i'm not a process geek either but like at least you can like look at that and say okay we had a crack at this and, and we lost a fair fight or a fairish fight you know yeah yeah well and well you go back and look at 2016 and you look at 2020 which you know some of it i'm sure is trump's actions that caused this loss but uh i would like to think that maybe you know out of that process of in my union seeing that loss and then recognizing that hey if you know we've got 600,000 members if we don't if we don't allow them to have a voice, are they actually going to go out and vote for you know for who that that we think they should vote for, or who they that their peers think that they should vote for? And I think it was a learning lesson for for a lot of the supposed leadership in our union at the higher levels. Yeah, and I actually want to sort of continue with one more point, but really quick, I want to pause for station ID. You are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We are joined uh, with by David Story. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That is R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. Uh, he is one of the hosts of the Valley Labor Report, a fantastic program that you can listen to um, uh, on WHIV. You can also check out their YouTube page to get more information. Uh, really, really great program. Um, and, you know, um, I think about this as well, like the sort of like there's this big question and um, that kind of came up and it was like, why are all of these, you know, lo union locals and rank and file members of unions like going for, you know, going for Trump in, you know, it was in 2016 mostly, but it also happened in 2020. And I think like part of what um, the reasoning for that, and I'm not, I'm not like, I haven't studied this extensively. So this is kind of like more of amusing or anything, but I almost kind of think it's a reaction to some of that more like, <laughs> high-handed seems like a little bit um harsh of a term to use but like this sort of like we know what's best for you kind of approach which like i actually take in many of those situations in good faith that maybe that's true right maybe they do think that they know what's best for the union members but they they also need to they can't just tell people that it mm -hmm. needs to be um agreed upon you can, and, and essentially like when a decision is made for you my when a decision is made for me at least i'm just sort of like what no i want to do the opposite of that <laughs> yeah no i get it completely and and i get it working at the level that i work at as well because a lot of times i feel i i'm torn you know you're sitting there going what is what's in the best interest right now of mm -hmm. of the membership so and also working with a higher levels i see hey there's not always time to to do things the way that you know the perf in in the perfect setting so you you just try to make the best decision you can and move on but yeah but when there is that possibility we should and like you said the circle back i'm not being anti-union no no, no 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 i don't think you know and, and but i think the bet the reason that we've had such a decline in the U.S. is because everybody expects the union, you know, the union, not me, not us, but some guy in Maryland or some guy in D.C. to to uh, to be the white savior, you know, on the white horse and come in and 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 they want so, the sex machina the ending, you know? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's the that's the reason for the decline because there is there is no, you know, no person on the white horse is gonna ride in to save you. So and so to build that back up, I think we need to put the power back in the hands of the of the rank and file membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I, yeah, 100% agree. And like, that's not anti-union at all. I mean, that's like literally the like the lifeblood yeah. of any um, of any sort of and you know democratic organization and you know labor organization. Has like you need to be able to get members to all go in the same way, and you you cannot just do that by telling them that they have to do the thing that you're telling them to do. Because if they don't have any buy-in, if they don't have any reason to kind of go along with that then then they won't essentially yeah, yeah. well and look or look, they just do their job or, or shut up you know yeah and the membership's not stupid being be it growing up you know through that through the 80s through the 90s and watching nafta come in and watching you know the era of neoliberalism where we continually voted for democratic neoliberals such as bill clinton uh, you know uh, and Obama to a large extent, possibly even worse, even though nobody wants to, you know, he is a nice guy, the same as Bill Clinton, but very, very charming uh, neoliberal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy to like both of those folks, but they were absolutely terrible for the working class, and yet all of our unions wholeheartedly supported them and still defends them to the day, you know. Yeah. And the membership is not stupid; they've seen the jobs going overseas, they've seen, you know, the competition with uh, slave labor in, in many countries and, you know, they were looking for change. And, you know, unfortunately we elected a moron, but you got change. It just wasn't what, what he promised, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I do want to switch gears a little yeah. bit and talk about uh, some of the things that are going on uh, in Alabama. Cause I didn't expect Alabama to get so have so much things going on. And this is something that's like the attention on one issue. And it, so it is like way more than needs to happen. And then the attention and, and I'm, myself is implicated in this. I'm talking about the Amazon drive. And then the other one is the warrior met uh, union uh, coal miner strike that's happening right now, which is getting no coverage. <laughs> but like yeah. Anyway, um, just to go first with Amazon, like just because I guess that was the uh, order that things happened. Um we talked a little bit about this before we went on air as well. That sounded like an absolute like whirlwind of like press, like people like from, you know, out of, out of town, out of, out of Alabama kind of coming in and putting a big old spotlight on a situation that, uh, that, that really would really, really kind of ended up being fairly difficult, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where anywhere else it would have been just another normal day in yeah. life. So, yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, I and our show was as responsible for that as anybody else, you know, uh, it is it, when you, when you, and, and like nobody's even to blame, nothing even happened. Not, nothing is necessarily even wrong there, but like, it's just what happened. There was a lot of energy and excitement, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, to your point. There was, and and I was happy, you know, and I'm still happy because uh, for for years Alabama has, you know, kind of been, or, or all of us in the South have been the butt of the joke when it comes mm-hmm. to unionism. Uh, even though we're not that much farther behind a lot of the other states as far as union density per capita goes, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, it's Amazon, so. Uh, you expect some coverage, but then, of course, when you couple that with it's Amazon and Alabama and Bessemer, a predominantly minority uh, city, uh, the, it was just a perfect storm for media coverage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was a feeding frenzy. Everybody <laughs> was down here and, uh, and, and I enjoyed it wholeheartedly. I was glad that we got the coverage and I hope 
you know, moving forward that we continue to get that kind of coverage and maybe a little bit more resources spent in the South on organizing as opposed to uh, consistently organizing the Northeast or the West mm-hmm. and, and and just saying and writing the Southern states off as they're unorganizable because I yeah. don't think that's the case at all. Oh, absolutely not. It's absolutely not the case. We just need to, you know, it's, we, we do definitely need the tools to do the job a hundred percent. And we need, you know, we need the people here, but yeah, I mean, I look at, you know, a lot of situations and I got, you know, a, a lot of respect for the folks on the, uh, in, in Orleans area. Uh, however, like, I mean, I, I look on, I mean, I, I'm like one of these trolls. I'm always looking at the union jobs in the area and you can't find one, you know, yeah. you can't organize your jobs. And it means that there's not a whole lot of, I mean, at least as far as I can tell, not a whole lot of money being spent, at least internationally, you know, down here. Um, now, one of the things that, and I don't know if this is like me, like doing the copium thing, um, but like that big spotlight that was on Bessemer, you know, a month ago, um, like part of that also, like that was in that spotlight was like how just how much Amazon like basically looked at all of the things that are illegal and just to use that not as a like not as like oh let's not do this they used that more like a roadmap to to how that they would approach <laughs> like that like union drive and I guess um maybe sort of like one of the things that we can sort of take away from it is, hey, the in terms of like seeing the L happen on the big stage in 4K, um, we also saw like, you know, putting it in wrestling terms, we saw the cheater heel bad guy like use all of the brass knuckles in the chair and like beat up the referee <laughs> in order to win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, you know, but that really kind of speaks to the, you know, because the spotlight was on it, then everybody saw it. But the yeah. fact is, you know, all the organizing campaigns that happen go through the exact same thing. Uh, and case in point, I was organizing a group that had re, uh, it was a it was a Swiss Swiss company that had moved in uh, here in our area, and it was brand new we we were going through a layoff at our facility at the time so about 75 to 80 percent of the workers that went to work over there were actually union members from from my local so it was an easy win i I, you know i started calling everybody and saying hey let's get you organized we'll get you know get 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 a contract negotiated and there was roughly 50 people at the time we got 49 authorization cards, you know, uh, is what you sign to say, hey, I want union representation. We got 49 of 50 authorization cards signed. So there was, you know, tremendous support uh, up to the election the week before the company came in and told them, uh, you know, the, the few hundred dollars a month that you're paying for health care insurance, you won't have to pay that no more. Don't worry yeah. about it. You know, and, and it's completely illegal. And we could have filed an, a board charge and said, you know, they influenced the election by offering a benefit. But then it, you're in a catch-22 because you say, okay, the, the workers won something by standing collectively together. And now the union, once again, yeah. is going to come in and take that away. So You look bad. Yeah. And so, that you know, that's nothing new what Amazon done. It just so happened that everybody got to see it at a national level yeah. at that point and you take that you take that w i mean if you get more benefits out of that that is like that is a better thing than yep. not having that benefit you know that yep. is a yeah and, and 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 to your point like like sort of like positioning yourself as saying like you got to be very nuanced in order to deal with that right you have to say like this is a good development and this shows what we can do when we stand together and our you know collective power and all that um also it's illegal you know it's a very difficult to have a nuanced statement on it yeah 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 you i mean you you have to handle it you have to handle it with some humility yeah. and say hey y'all won this good for y'all 
we lost the election. We lost the election by three votes after getting 49 or 58 cars signed. You know, uh, but now we're talking to him again over the last six months. This has been about two years since that uh, yeah. election occurred. So, but you, you don't close the door on it. You lost the union, but you won health care, though, right? Yeah, well, they want health care. Exactly. And maybe, you know, in, in, in the back of their mind, they realize that it wasn't the union that that got their health care. It was them standing together collectively, which is another important lesson to take away from it. Yep. 100%. Uh, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. More information about our show, goodmorningcomrade.com. Uh, we have on the show today a very special guest. We have David Story from Valley Labor Report. He is the president of uh, the local machinist union as well. Uh, he um, actually, so I did want to sort of change gears so we just talked about the uh extremely hyper covered uh amazon union election that took place uh in bessemer up in the uh, in the north uh and now i want to sort of like change gears and talk about something that's going on right now for the past seven weeks uh some coal miners in central alabama have been on strike um can you talk a little bit about what's going on down there we talked a little bit about it on the show but uh and we, we talked about it with jacob as well but can you just sort of set the table uh for what what's going on out there yeah so uh and, and i'll be completely upfront. i'm not very well versed in everything sure. i know a lot of the highlights uh in 2016 2015 2016 a former the the uh, the employer that owned the mines at the time, uh, Jim Walter Energy, uh, had run the business into the ground and bankrupted. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a condition of this capital vulture, I mean capital venture group <laughs> coming in and and purchasing uh, the the mines, they wanted to negotiate a better contract with the workers. And so the workers were kind of in, in, you know, had their backs up against the wall and took a very, you know, a lot of concessions. Uh, I think the average wage decrease in the, in 2016 was $6 an hour pay cuts. Uh, some of the guys that I talked to, the electricians uh, that were in there actually were closer to $8 an hour pay cuts, which, it, I mean, it's insane. Uh, nobody can, I don't know how anybody can take that kind of, you know, you, you, you build your lifestyle around a certain wage that you're expecting, and then all of a sudden you're making $240 a week less. That's, that's crazy. But uh so they took those concessions. They accepted them and said, with the thought that, hey, we'll do everything we can to get you sustainable again. We'll work our tail off. Uh, two of the previous five years under this con under this new contract where they had taken concessions, they had record coal removal from the mines. Uh, and that's in like the 80 some odd year history of that mine. And they done it with with 700 less people. So when that in 2016 they had roughly 1,800 members. Now they got 1,100 members. Uh, and then you know they expected to come into 2021 and negotiate a new contract with a company where they're paying supervisors thirty thousand dollar a quarter bonuses. To Jeez. yes, thirty thousand dollars a quarter bonuses. They kind of expected, hey, let's let's get back up to where we were, if you know, and what and and what they were simply asking for is get our wages back to regional rates, which anybody knows regional rates in Alabama is terrible. <laughs> Excuse me, terrible by anybody else's standards, but it's fair for the region. And the company said, no. Nah, and, and on top of that, we want you to take a cut in your health care insurance, and we want you to pay a little bit more. <laughs> I apologize. Quite all right. So, yeah. So they, uh, amazingly, uh, they went on strike. And, you know, to, to hear everybody talk about it, it's, it's been one of the largest mine worker strikes since the 80s. Uh, 
and uh, and they're still out there, and they're yeah. out there. You know, importantly, I think for me, what's been the the most beautiful takeaway, and the strike. Don't get me wrong; is terrible. We were on strike on our last contract uh, three years ago. But the beautiful thing to take away from it is they're out there with a large number of young workforce that have, have never been in a union, uh, didn't have any clue about a union. They, they, but they're committed to seeing things through, and mm -hmm. and everybody was scared. You know, even the all the way up to the national president uh, was worried, tried to cut a deal and get everybody back to work, hoping that, you know, he was worried about, are these members going to be able to hang tough? And, and they're in there doing it, you know, and we're in our seventh week now, and they're still saying we're, we're not taking it. So, yeah. so, so, you know, to, I guess, to book in that, we, I'm doing, and Jacob is doing, and uh, there's a lot of other people out there working as well to do everything we can because, when these strikes occur, it's so important for the labor movement to rally around th those workers because everybody, all of us know that, you know, that the, 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 what the Republicans like to use a lot of times is rising tide raises all boats. Well, the rising tide is the striking workers. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that's going to be increasing wages and benefits for everybody else in the area. So we need to make sure that we support them as long as they need to be supported so yeah and yeah and like there's been some sort of crazy rulings and things like that about they can only have a certain number of people out at uh picket lines and all this other kind of stuff it's absolutely wild how that like how that's going down um i do want to uh sort of like ask about what things are like i don't know if, if you've been out to the, to the lines anything like that if you've talked to any of the workers out there uh what's kind of the mood how are people feeling is it you know i mean seven weeks is a long time to be out of work yep i have not been out there in about three three to four weeks we we well maybe less than that two to three weeks uh our local took up a large donation and went out there a few weeks ago. Uh, I mean, and the workers are, they're pissed. Mm -hmm. I mean, rightfully so. Um, you know, the, the ones that I talked to, and like you said, they're, they're only allowing 11 per picket. And that's I think they're insanity to me. That part's insanity to me. <laughs> like, seriously. It, I mean, it's typical, you know, the company is, it, it is it is exactly like what you would think of in the early 1900s where it's not we're not they're not paying for their groceries and company script but they may as well be because yeah, the thing that's you missing know, is the pinkertons right yeah well and the pinkertons are the state police yeah. they brought they've brought in the state police I was out there the, the night that they announced the strike. I drove down the next morning to walk the picket lines with them. And this, and already there was two state troopers on the picket line that I was on. And we were blockading some equipment uh, from leaving the facility. And man, that state trooper, he didn't put his hand on his gun, but that was the only thing, you know, the only non-reactionary thing that he didn't do because... Right. He come out screaming and yelling, telling us he was going to take us to jail the whole nine yards. So, yeah, there's your Pinkerton right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they're they're sticking together strong, which they always have been state sanctioned. But I mean, like officially deputized by the state. Yeah, exactly. And that's the case in Alabama. You know, in the in the early eighties, I want to say it's either seventy nine or eighty. My dad went on strike at one of the paper mills up here. And there was, uh, there, uh, it's ill, I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe that, it, that at some point in time, the governor or maybe the federal government made it illegal to call in the National Guard. So the governor started using the state patrol, but mm -hmm. they had sent out the state patrol for my dad's picket then. And there was some 
There were some serious fights. I mean, luckily, nobody got killed at the time. But, I mean, nowadays, you would certainly get killed for doing by the police for doing what they were doing then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's this has been going on in the South for years. The, yeah. the state-mandated uh, police are going to do everything they can to protect capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And, you know... Uh... We should uh, let me just pause real quick for station ID one quick time because I do want to kind of get into this particular issue of like history and of labor, not just in the South, but like more broadly, but like the sort of portrayal around it. But before we get to that, you're, you are listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is a this is good morning, comrade. Good morning, comrade.com. And get more information. We have David Story on the show, it's been a fantastic show so far. Um, uh, always great to talk with you, David. Um, he is the host, uh, one of the hosts of uh, the Valley Labor Report, uh, which you can uh, listen to here on WHIV. You can also listen to um, uh, what's the station again? Uh, our our station, the radio station, is WVNN ninety two point five FM. Yeah, no, w- but it's a terrible station. Yeah, I only listen to the Valley <laughs> Labor Report on. on there. Um, which it comes on Saturday mornings, uh, I believe at. Uh, nine o'clock 9 30 a.m and uh you can also uh check out their youtube channel to get more information as well uh fantastic show he's also the president of the local machinist union uh and i kind of like wanted to talk about so let me sort of set this stage a little bit we just talked about some of the history of a paper mill strike that uh got busted up by the cops in alabama I, i was on a call with some people we were talking about the pro act and we had a little section on there about louisiana history and like I knew the story, but not very many other people do. And it was totally mystified. We had a guy who's a, 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 a historian. We got to get him on the show. His name is uh, Thomas Adams. Great dude. Um, but he talked about uh, 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 a strike out, out in Geismar about uh, by uh, workers uh, with the oh, geez. Uh, what, it's essentially with the steel workers now. But um uh, the strike that went on for years and years, like in the you know 80s and into the 90s, and nobody knows about it. You know, nobody knows about the the labor history of the place that they live. It gets buried or it gets portrayed as like um, it gets portrayed as like you know the you know comic portrayal of like Jimmy Hoffa or whatever being a corrupt you know and like like I'm not like. I'm not going to defend every action of Jimmy Hoffa, I suppose, but like the idea of that um, that being the like primary image of like labor as sort of corruption um, of things is, is sort of the way that things go forward. And in the South, there's just nothing, you know. They don't they don't really talk about the battles of Blair Mountain even in like West Virginia in any way other than you know you need to get like second year of college to to get that information. <laughs> It's it's really wild, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, we've talked to several educators on the show, and it's it's disappointing that that labor history is not covered more, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the in the primary school level. I would, you know, I'd love to see it, but the and it, it and and it kind of bears out the point of why we should be doing what we're doing because no one is going to tell our story if it's not for us. And they are amazing stories, like absolutely incredible stuff. I mean, in every single state, every single city has something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm, it's just I don't get it. I don't get it. I the, I I talked to Kenzo, you know, one of our mutual friends on yeah. the show. I've talked to Brendan Mucky and Bates. He's one of the. He was one of the organizers for. Uh, uh, Red for Ed in West Virginia, and they went on their Wildcat. Um, and, and I've asked everybody, what, what is what is the problem? You know, why is why? Are, and and it all goes back to the same thing because capital owns uh, the education uh, system, and they're not going to allow people to be taught that collectively they have any power. They mm-hmm. want us relying on. Capitalists and politicians, and yeah, and, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. 
it just totally sets the table for like 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 the it, history kind of like has this mystifying effect i guess you could say especially if you don't study it where where like you can sort of like look at it in a very sort of like fl- like basically the way that it gets portrayed to you and come away with the conclusions of whoever it is that's putting that story before you you know and and you know a lot of times especially because i mean geez you know i i didn't expect to get into this today but um you look at like um you know you go to your local bookstore if you if any of them still exist and it's like a you know corporate bookstore like barnes and nobles or whatever you know you'll see history books written by like high profile fox news people like Mm -hmm. ryan kilmeade and like bill o'reilly and i remember they also had like like a rush limbaugh series of book i teach elementary school right a rush limbaugh series of children's books essentially uh get the people and uh, like it's just absolutely wild the fact that like and and obviously they're going to portray the you know the 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 facts that they choose to um to kind of like have to essentially justify their pre-existing worldview the right-wing worldview yeah yeah and it's interesting i like you i didn't expect to go down this path but yeah i'm i'm always happy to talk about it it's uh i Growing up on Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy and things like that, you know, I heard, but I mean, my whole life is music. It's just, you know, if if I didn't have music, I'd I'd literally die tomorrow. But (laughs) I heard all of these lyrics. And then, you know, as a young, uh, impressionable high school kid, but I, I also heard everything you know, through the eyes of the history teacher or the mouth of the history teacher and had this, uh, this strange patriotism that is, that's kind of pushed on you through those uh, very primary influential years. But then maybe in my late twenties, early thirties, I was recommended uh, the history of America by Howard Zinn. Oh yeah, and and when I read that, and then reflecting back on all of the music that I had listened to, and reflecting back on kind of the indoctrination that we all go through through school. Yeah, it's like you found that one puzzle piece, right? Yeah, one- yeah, it was 180 degrees. It was like, what, what the hell? What, what the hell have they been telling us? You know, nothing's true. Everything is is manipulated, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, and so, yeah, to, to your point, uh, it's, 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 it's almost unbelievable, even mm-hmm. at 50, 49, uh, that, that, that we're so easily manipulated by what they tell us, that yeah. they want us to know what they want us to believe. Yeah, it, it really is, is wild. And, <laughs> You know, I'm on. I, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking like right now, and I'm kind of. Uh, so somebody explained Rage Against Machine lyrics to my cons- uh, to any conservative that listens to them. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny too. Because I remember, you yeah, know, uh, in twenty, I think it was twenty sixteen. Oh no, no, it was twenty twelve. I got a, I got a long memory for these things. But uh, when Paul Ryan was running for, uh, for, for vice president with Mitt Romney, like he got asked the question, like, "What's your favorite band?" And this dude is like the biggest, like. Like stick in the mud like turd that you ever saw in your entire life and he's like yeah look rage against the machine he's <laughs> like what are you talking about dude i know it man <laughs> and, <laughs> and it really pisses me off it's oh, just it irritates me to no end because i come away from rage against the machine a completely different person a completely different person you know right. that i i i between them public enemy there was a few other punk bands but uh, they changed my perspective on life, you know, and, and it because I listened to them. But apparently, these folks have just never listened to the words of, the, of what they were singing. Yeah, or, but it, or probably more nefariously, they're just trying to like 
co-op this like literally communist message of rage against the machine like literally tom morello is like an iww member and yeah. like has been like super awesome on a lot of these issues and like like tom morello come on good morning comrade please <laughs> like that yeah. would be sick. um but anyway uh like taking this this very very clearly like anti-capitalist messaging and just trying to co-opt it like that will never end that i'll never not be fascinated by that by this sort of like blob of like like co-option to sort of like bring in the most radical elements of of uh like essentially I wouldn't even call it like anti-establishment because it is like anti-establishment implies a reaction to establishment. But this is more of a clear delineated line of thinking, yeah. a clear delineated perspective and just trying to assume that into the mass culture. Like that's fascinating to me. Yeah. And you're seeing a tremendous resurgence. I, you're seeing in the past uh, several years, I think coupled with what what the what the rank and file traditional GOP seen Trump do, and they're also seeing their base slowly moving back away from them. You're seeing that 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 type of populist talking points of anti big corporation and oh, yeah. Yeah, the things that that for the last since Reagan they've been known for you know supporting all these corporate oligarchs now all of a sudden you're seeing people like ted cruz and like uh the guy up in michigan talk about blue collar working class people and and all of this so you're seeing these like, like harvard like law school graduates yeah. who have never worn like boots in their life you know they've never yeah. gotten a callus on their hand and they've never like they've never like hammered in a freaking nail <laughs> they're trying to yeah. talk about the working class yeah, but the thing is, but the thing is, the the, the working class, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not demeaning anybody, but I'm just, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm telling it the way I see it. And if it hurts your feelings, I apologize. But mm -hmm. the working class are a gullible, are a gullible group, uh, and they will buy into a lot of what they're hearing if they hear it long enough. And I think that's why it's important for us to push back and say, look, you need to look at history. You need to look at especially his history. And what, you know, what more importantly is the legislation that he's pushed through. Has it been beneficial to you or has it not? Yeah. And, and, and they never talk about that. No, no, of course <laughs> that not. It's always about like the next thing, you know, the cancel culture is ruining our society, which like, it's all like kind well, of like way true, right? Like, like the, but, but we, we worried about people who are getting like, like smeared for doing good things not smeared for like not and smeared, like people who are like losing their job for speaking truth to power or whatever that's like the real cancel culture as opposed to like barry weiss and ben shapiro complaining in their best-selling books about being canceled <laughs> you know? yeah yeah well i mean we've all we've heard for what this is may for the last three months is cancel culture up until last week when liz cheney gets booted out of her uh out of her yeah position, position. yeah <laughs> yeah so i i mean it just i don't know it's it's crazy i don't the whole cancel culture thing is just democracy at work if they don't uh -huh. like it change your policies yeah and um oh robert uh, top damage wizard one of my co-hosts brings up remember when they got arrested with michael moore on wall street and that was the whole music video bulls on parade absolutely incredible song it <laughs> is it is yeah i could go i could do uh, 10 episodes on, on just rage against the machine so yeah. go ahead and talk about rage a little bit <laughs> that when you come back on <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know I, I, they're great, and I, I would love to see Morello come on your show. I, I've maybe maybe one day, you know. Yeah, your show. I've, huh? I've hit him up numerous times. I've tagged him. I mean, I'm sure everybody else is as well. But I mean, they, you know, they do good work. They do, you know. Mm -hmm. And and the funny thing is, is Morello is like, I didn't even realize this up until a year, year and a half ago. But he is like amazingly well educated he's not your run-of-the-mill uh angst rocker he the guy's like gotten serious uh degrees so mm -hmm. 
He's not an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if nothing else, regardless of the degrees, even like he's got a very clear analysis of what he's trying to to put forward, you know, and that's that's really cool to me, you know. What I yeah, mean? yeah, and 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 of course he supports uh, an IWW member, which I'm an IWW member as well, and I think you see that amongst the more radical elements of the of unionists is. Uh, their quest to bring back that uh, international solidarity and uh, you know that that build that rank and file power that uh, the IWW does so well. I mean, they're really really good at uh, at boiling it down to uh, non bureaucratic unionism. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So um, as we sort of wind down in our time. Uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Can you just uh, one more time uh, just talk a little bit about uh, Value Labor Report? Where can people find um, about the show? And uh, can you just talk about the uh, talk about the fundraiser that's happening uh, next uh, next week, the twenty seventh? Yeah. So I'll hit the fundraiser first because to me that's the most important. Uh, so yeah, we're doing the fundraiser for for the mine workers in Brookwood, Alabama. And Jacob has like spearheaded this fundraiser and has brought in some of the most amazing musicians, uh, Lee Baines and the Glory Fires, uh, Mike Cooley from Drop by Truckers. Uh, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss some people. Uh, Drew Morgan, uh, from from well read comedy tour, there's just, and I think Lee helped on a lot of that as well. But it all all in coordination for like we were talking about earlier to come out and uh, raise money to keep these uh, mine workers on strike as long as they feel like they need to be on strike, and that's happening next Saturday, the twenty second, and the Valley Labor Report. Uh, myself and Jacob and our newest uh, member, Adam Keller, will be uh, ignorantly, I've been uh, strong-armed into a 48-hour live stream uh, <laughs> to support this. So we'll be going on the air on Friday, I believe roughly around between 10 and noon. But I, I, I reached out to... Randy Bryce is going to be. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, no, I couldn't believe it. I, I reached out to Randy because I. The Iron Stash. Yeah, the Iron Stash. Because we're on a private radio, we have to raise money to pay for airtime. And the iron workers were like one of the early. We got some real radical iron workers in Sheffield. We're one of the early supporters and, and most ardent supporters of our show. And, and I felt like, hey, let's bring an iron worker on it. And I so Jacob said, reach out to Randy. And I'm like, okay. And I, within like 30 minutes, he replied back and said, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes to help That'd those workers out. I love it. Yeah. So uh, Randy's going to be on. Kim Kelly, everybody's favorite labor reporters. She's flying in to cover it. I think I talked to her yesterday, and she said she was actually able to pick up a gig with Rolling Stone. So she's going to be doing some writing for for, for Rolling Stone for that. Uh, I've got some good friends. My brother, Douglas Williams, uh, he's an educator at our labor college. Uh, he's coming in and an editor with Strike Wave. Uh, yeah, I know Brian. Brian too. <laughs> yep, Brian's coming in. It's going to be just uh, coming out of COVID and not being able to see live bands and kind of being isolated for the last year and then, and then, this all culminating around the workers there and the great music and great friends. It's just, I, I'm so excited for mm-hmm. this. I, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even put it into words. Just, yeah. but yeah, you can, you can find a Valley labor report on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. If you just search the Valley labor report, we're there and we're pretty much, you know, just talking about rank and file unionism, anti-capitalism. Uh, you know, and we we try to keep it local, but we do branch out 
uh, a lot of times into the national and international level. Jacob done a wonderful series on Bolivia and the Moss about six months ago. So there's a lot for everybody to kind of see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on GMC, uh, David. You are listening to uh, WHIVLP New Orleans. This has been Good Morning Comrade. Love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.